Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. Uh, This morning, uh, we have been for this whole year, and we'll continue to do it, um, talk about this idea of what it means to um, live like Jesus is greater. I say this every Sunday because I think we need to hear it every Sunday. Every one of your issues in your life is an area that you hold higher than Jesus. And if we can change that in our lives, then our um, our lives will be different. Our lives will be better. So this morning, which I didn't necessarily intend this to be, but tomorrow, you know, we, we celebrate our independence. We celebrate our freedom from an impressive um, empire that wasn't connected to us by land, but uh, across the sea. And uh, we became who we are today, or, you know, we're still evolving for sure. Uh, but that was the beginning of it. And I, I think today uh, the text that we're going to cover uh, really is the root of our liberty, <laughs> And I've written this down for the end of my sermon, but I just want to say that uh, God's purpose and intention for you is not independence. His purpose and intention for you is dependence on him. So today, um, Jesus in the text is going to pose a question that seems simple and obvious considering that you're in church this morning, potentially. But the implications of the answer to this question is staggering. The question is not a question that we as a group answer, though a lot of times it feels like that. But it is directed at each of us. What the group thinks about this question doesn't matter. Now, it may be nice for you because you have a group that think like you do, but their answer to this question matters not. Just like it matters not what my answer to this question is as it relates to my children and other people that are close to me. The only thing that matters is their answer. And the power over the gates of hell will not prevail over a life that is correctly answered this question. Let's pray. Jesus, not that you do it just like that, but Lord, I pray that we'd be cut this morning. Lord, we'd be cut to our core about what our answer to this question is. That we would move, if we've never reflected on what our response is, that we would be moved to answer it. And Lord, I pray that our, our lives would demonstrate the answer to that question. So Lord, we, we pray that your words would be spoken to us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. People have always been wondering who Jesus is. I mean, it's always not shocking, but you go into the um, grocery store and there's magazines. And a couple of times a year, you'll see Jesus or a depiction of him on a magazine. You'll hear people talking about Jesus. And we're 2,000 years into this. 
over 2,000 years into his resurrection, and people are still wondering who he is. And major newspapers who get money from people buying them will still put his picture on the cover. And not that you want to read that and get your truth from it, but they're still talking about it. There's lots of opinions about who Jesus is and lots of other uh, religious organizations that will talk about a guy named Jesus but not be referring to the Jesus that we do. This conversation has started since he came on the scene. People have always wondered, who is this guy? What gives him authority? How can he do the things that he does? In Mark 6, starting in verse 14, we have a conversation uh, with this guy named Herod. Herod's asking, who's Jesus? It says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Remember, we talked about last week, this is a guy who didn't have enough money to have horses to ride around on, or donkeys and carts. He walked around. He was a nobody. But the... The, the rulers, not religious, the rulers of the community were wondering, like, who is Jesus? It says, some said that he was John the Baptist raised from the dead. That he was, um, uh, and this is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And others said that he was Elijah. And others said that he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, all he said is, John, whom I beheaded, is raised. Uh, I don't know about you, but like if you have somebody beheaded and then you hear he's come back, like that's a little scary. And so that was the conversation. And this conversation was going around. And I'm sure everywhere he went, people were wondering who he was. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees said, speak plainly to us. Are you fill in the blank? Are you the one? John the Baptist, uh, while he's in prison, sends messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one or should we expect another? People were always wondering who he was. Well, Matthew 16, Jesus has this own conversation with his disciples. And this is in three different spots in three, in three of the four Gospels. There's this conversation. The end of the conversation that's in Matthew isn't in the others, and that's why I'm using it today. The three of the four Gospels, Jesus poses this question, which I think is a pretty good question. It says in verse 13, starting in chapter 16, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples who, and listen to the phrasing here, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus has purpose for every single conversation. Like you and I have conversations because we're bored. We have conversations because we're reflecting on things. But like we're not intentional with everything that we say. Because if we were, we'd get in a lot less trouble. Husbands. Right? If we thought about every word that came in our mouth. Jesus, in my opinion, never said anything without purpose. There was nothing that ever came out of his mouth. If he says something written in red, there's a reason for it. Verse 14 is their answer to the question. And look how he posed it. He posed it, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
And they said, just like Herod and his people had said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. See, this was the opinion of the masses. And if Jesus was any of the people that were mentioned in this list, it would be awesome, but he wouldn't be the one. He wouldn't be the Messiah. It would be amazing if he was one of these people, because there's all these prophetic words that Elijah has to come first, which he points out is John the Baptist. But there has to be these things. So they're waiting in preparation. So if he's just one of the people preparing for the Messiah, it's not as powerful of him being the one. And then Jesus turns the question on them. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? I believe that this is the most important question that's asked in the Bible. My opinion. Who you say Jesus is will determine the rest of your story. And I don't mean, because some of us can say, oh yeah, 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 he's, he's God, he's Messiah. But the belief in that that moves us into living like that's true is completely different, which is what we're talking about in this, like, in this reality of living like Jesus is greater. It reflects itself in our life. And I love Peter. Pete, I don't know if it was like a competition, like if you had school and like the teacher's pet and like they want to answer first. But Peter is the one at least recorded and all the ones that, that spout this first. Verse 16, it says, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He probably finished it. <laughs> Beat you suckers. And then Jesus says in verse 17, it says, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Okay, so I, I spent a lot of time uh, researching. There's a lot of stuff going on in these verses that we're going through today. And there's lots of back and forth about all of what is getting ready to happen, which I'm going to try to deal with a little bit. But the first one is he calls him Simon Bar-Jonah. And there's a deep dive. You Just Google it later. There's tons of opinions on what this is about. Like, is it because Bar means son. Son of Jonah. Was this referring to his father? Is this referring to like he's the son of Jonah in a reference to what Jesus was going to do? Was this, uh, it also, Jonah means dove. And so what I think is the most fitting to this is that son of the dove. And the dove is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And, and Jesus is telling the others that this didn't come from you. It didn't come from like he answered correctly because he you know, had a revelation in himself. Jesus is saying, is that revelation come from God? Son of the dove is, in my opinion, is this reality that we should live in as New Testament believers. We are people, sons of the Holy Spirit, meaning that we have Holy Spirit living in us, driving us to be who we've called to be. The, he is the one that drives every good decision that we do. He's the one living inside of us asking, just listen. You know, I, I love this song that we listened to, and I wrote it at the beginning of my thing, and I'll probably say it again. Your ways are better, and the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear every day, His way is better. <laughs> I like it when the Holy Spirit's like really like in your face, like, that's stupid. 
I love it when I hear that, that stupid, and I still jump into something. See, your salvation comes from this place. It is a free gift began in our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 14, or 6, 44, it says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you're in this room and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, chosen words chosen intentionally, then that work began not by your effort, not by your skill, not by your righteousness. It began because the Holy Spirit drew you to God the Father. And I believe, which isn't in my notes here, but I believe that he who began a work in us will bring it to completion. Now, that road um, sometimes is messy. Sometimes it's painful. But I believe that God draws us to himself and will do everything in his power to help us become sons or daughters of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. And this is a very debatable and I'll get into this a little bit. So verse 18, it says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So a major um, non-Protestant um, group, look at this, is that Peter was the rock. Peter, the person, was the rock that they were going to build their church on. That The idea that Peter was this first pope. He was this lineage that they were going to build their church on. Um, I hold a belief, um, and I would say it's widely held by most Protestant churches, that the revelation or the rock is the revelation that Peter espoused by saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And we're going to, because look, 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 look. He's the cornerstone. Everything's built on him. We, we just a couple weeks ago talked. If we build on any foundation other than him, we're in trouble. He's the foundation. He's what we build off of. And Jesus used, which is funny also, so Peter's name is also means rock. So it's real easy. I think Jesus was very intentionally saying, look, I, and he used Peter to build his church but he used peter to tell what the revelation was when he stood before the people on pentecost and preached about the gospel he did not preach about him he preached about jesus the church and the gospels have enemies that phrase and the gates of hell will not prevail i don't know if you know this we're at war. The church is at war. And, and I, I've, I'm not a prophet, um, but the church is, in, in my belief, in the next 10 years, is going to side on one or the other. The world is going to force the hand of the church, which I think is a good thing, to either say we are Sons of the dove, we are sons of the Holy Spirit, we're believing in Jesus as the Messiah, we're believing in his word as our direction for life, or we're going to make Jesus what we want him to be. And we 
I mean, collectively, we as the church are going to have to decide who we say Jesus is. Is he a good moral teacher that we just do these things because it will lead us in a good way? Or is he the creator, the Messiah, the one that speaks things into existence, the one that literally holds our life together, the one that gives us the promise of freedom? And sometimes when we talk about enemies of the church, we we get scared. And I just want to say, I'm not saying when it gets more difficult that the church is going to suffer. I think the church is going to thrive. It may not look like it does right now, but if you look in Acts, they were singing their little kumbaya, and they were loving this fellowship of one another, and then persecution came, and what happened? They went out into the world And they were forced to leave and go preach the gospel in other cities. I believe if Jesus wouldn't have said that, like, we might not exist. And I believe when the the pressure of that, it will help people rise to a place of going, He is my Lord and Savior, and I will live for Him and not others. Romans 8, 31. For those who get scared. So what shall we say then about these things? And there's a long list of things that are very scary. If God is for us, who can be against us? Like if you're, if you're reading along in the one-year Bible and you're, you're in um, the story of all the kings and you see the ones that do right and the ones that do wrong, um, all the ones that do right, they weren't greater, they weren't more powerful, they just trusted And relied on God. And God rescued and redeemed them from things that they couldn't have done themselves. That's what he wants. He wants us to realize that he's greater than anything that comes against us. Verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Okay, this is another one that just has a ton, there's a ton of stuff right here. We could probably spend the whole time talking about this. So keys is a reference to authority. So he's saying, I'm going to give you authority not to do what you want, not to do the things that you want. I'm going to give you authority of the kingdom. There's actually reference uh, in the Old Testament where it talks about giving the, the, um, the keys, laying them on the shoulder, the keys of David, which is this idea of, of his authority and his kingdom. And this bound and loose part is not something that we, we think about. You think about binding and loosing things. So bound and loose is a commas. Common Jewish legal phraseology, meaning to declare something forbidden or allowed, which is what we do. We, not we, because I think sometimes we've made things forbidden that God didn't say was forbidden. And, okay, just so we get on both sides, and we've loosed things that God has not said to loose. Matthew Henry wrote this. It says, your business shall be to explain to the world the will of God, both as truth and duty. For this, you shall have your commissions and credentials and your full instructions to bind and to loose. See, this isn't binding and loosing whatever you think you should do. This only works and is effective as it relates to the kingdom and his word. 
one um, prime thing that you see loosed from the gospel that Peter himself did in Acts 10, verse 28. 28 is he loosed the gospel, the kingdom, to the Gentiles. I believe this binding and loosing, uh, in, in my opinion, if I want to dumb it real down, is you speaking the gospel, the good news to people. Because there's people that are bound and are miserable and life is overwhelming and we get to speak a truth that can give freedom and liberty. Romans 10, uh, verse 15. This is talking about, you know, like, how, how are those... And this is the hard part for the church. Because the majority of people that, that need Jesus in our city aren't going to walk in this building. They're not. They're not there'll, there'll be things that will happen in our world that will drive people to church. After 9-11, people in droves were coming back to church because they were terrified. And there'll be things in our generation that will drive people to church. But for the most part, people will hear the gospel because we take it to them. Romans 10, verse 15, it says, How then are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is quoted directly out of Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. This was written during the, the Babylonian captivity. This good news is this liberation that was promised that would come in the future. This is what we do. There's nothing better than the feet that bring the gospel. And I said this uh, a little bit. You have one purpose. I can boil it down. And just in case you're like, I don't know what to do. You have one purpose. To know God. And to help other people do the same thing. Which are tied together. Our goal is to help you know God, and our goal for you is to get into a place that you, in your way, take the gospel out of here. And it's messy. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. So many people have been so hurt and wounded by the church that they will not want to listen to you. That they're going to reject what you say. That they could even painfully um, speak vile things about you. Because the, the, the world wants to know just a few. <laughs> honestly, they just want to know how you feel about a few topics. And they'll call you unjust or unloving. Our purpose is to keep speaking the truth. Because eternity has been placed in the heart of every single person that you interact with. And that thing, that longing, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that longing that's been placed in them is what's driving them to do all the other things that they do.
Verse 20. So he tells them all these things. He, you know, they, remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, uh, or last week, or the woman at the well. It was the first declaration that he made plainly to an individual that he was the Christ and the Messiah. And so now they're having this conversation about who he is. And they identify him correctly. And the last thing he says, which seems counterproductive to everything I just said. Because I'm like, we need to share that good news. Jesus tells them, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And you're thinking, like, why not? Because I just told you that we need to tell everybody that Jesus is the Christ. And let me just tell you, let me help your, let me help you out. If you're not a nice person at work, fix that and then tell people about Jesus. If you're a a bad tipper, don't tell people about Jesus. If you think it's great to give somebody a gospel track and not a tip, keep that gospel track in your pocket. Give them a great tip, leave them a gospel track. I'm telling you, we need to live like Jesus is greater. And when we live like Jesus is greater, which is not going to be perfect, you're going to be a mess. But when you make efforts to live like that and let you be changed, they'll listen to you. The problem is sometimes we're not living like Jesus is greater and we're telling people that Jesus is the greatest thing and they're looking at us going, you see, And this is why I've spent this whole year talking about this idea of how do we get to this place that we live there because that's where our happiness is going to be. People are the only thing around us that's going to last forever. Your bank account will be someone else's. Your prized possessions that you would fight and die over will be garbage one day. It'll be in a landfill that no one wants. The things that you're you're looking, and I'm I'm speaking to me. My wife knows the the truth. Um, I love buying stuff. Love it because when I buy something, I think, man, these new glasses, this new shirt, this new workout gear, whatever, I'm going to be happy. Never, never has anything made me happy more than a moment. But we have the Creator giving us authority to speak other people into the kingdom. So what do we do with this? First, we have to figure out what our answer to that question is. And don't I think sometimes when we're like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because if your life doesn't reflect your answer, then your answer is just an acknowledgement of truths that you hold but you don't believe. Believe meaning you act on them. So if Jesus were to enter the room right now and would ask you, who do you say that he is, what would you say? Because I think his follow-up question is once you say, oh, I think you're the Christ and the Messiah, I think his follow-up question is going to be, Why aren't you living like that so? 
Period. So this morning, I encourage you to ponder that. And hopefully get to a place that you say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is, in my opinion, the, the gist of living like Jesus is greater. That he is the Christ, the Messiah, the author and creator. Your work is to know him and to help others be loosed and bound. That seems counterproductive. Some of the things that we're loose to right now need to be bound. Does that make sense? Like some of the things that we allow and permit in our life, we need people to look in our face and say, this isn't, this isn't good for you. I think there's things in our life right now that we're, we, ha- we see the red light blinking, the check engine light, blinking on the dashboard, and we're like, it'll be all right. No big deal. And I think we need people in our life to say, no, it is a big deal. You need to take that to the shop and you need to get fixed what's going on and then get back on the road. Jesus is our good news. And we just got to get to a place that we live there. Because what your church reach or wherever you attend regularly or what your family says about Jesus doesn't matter. No one is born into the kingdom of God. Two of my children are sitting in the room and they love it when I point them out. Their entry into the kingdom is not based on me. Jesus will not say, oh, your dad was a pastor. Come on in. Jesus will do the same thing to them that he did to me is, who do you say that I am? And some of us, and the problem is, a lot of us have grown up in the South, and the South predetermines that answer. It's like we come out of the womb, Jesus. We do. And, and we think, you know, because we, where we attend and what we give and the, a few things that we do, that, that the answer is true. And some of it wasn't. I spent the first 18 year, years of my life going, attending, and going to a church every Sunday, going to youth group, and doing summer camp, and all these things. And before then, I would have said to you, yes, Jesus is the Lord of all. But no part of my life, other than the points of where I was on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, described that. See, Jesus wants to give you liberty, but not liberty from him. Jesus wants to give you liberty from the things that are ruining your life, but he wants every bit of you. He doesn't want a piece of you. And and I just encourage you, (laughs) if you're fighting for some of the territory in your heart going, this is mine and I'm not letting him in, this is the moment to say, no more. I, and, and we all do that. Hear this. Hear this. Me, right now, Heath Cadell, 46-year-old, pastoring Reach Community Church for almost 10 years, there are still pieces of me that I'm fighting to keep. 
And there are pieces of you in your life right now that you're fighting to keep because you think it's okay for you to have them. And it's not. Lordship means lordship. It doesn't mean like he is lord of a piece of the ship. He gets it all. And I just encourage you, don't live in a world that you, you play this game of attendance. That you play this game of like, well, I've just got to put X amount of dollars in that box so that I'm good. Or that I've just got to, we had baptisms last weekend that I just got to get wet one time. Or I just have to raise my hand one time. Jesus wants your life. All of it. And the pieces that don't reflect him, and this is what, if you're going to stay at Reach, this is what Reach is going to preach until the day I'm gone, is that he wants all of it. And the pieces that you aren't willing to give, he's not going to boot you out, but your life is going to be completely different if you just go, I'm tired of fighting you, because he will. When it says that I will bring it to completion, what I began, he'll do everything in his power To rectify that. And let me just tell you. Being at war with God. You're always going to lose. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. And I'm going to say a line out of the song that they sang a second ago. His way is better. And if you don't agree with that. I challenge you. To ask yourself why. What are you fighting to keep? What are you unwilling to just surrender to him? And surrender it. We end with a song every Sunday. So that you can have a moment to reflect on what. Hopefully, not my words, but the Holy Spirit wants to do inside of you. And while this worship is going on, but during it and after it, there's going to be people in this corner um, for prayer. And let me just tell you, our prayer team is hungry to pray for you. Hungry. You're going to see smiling faces as you walk back there to get prayer because they're excited to agree with you, because one of two things typically happen in those moments. There's, There's a revelation to go, I need something that I cannot rectify to myself, and I'm going to, one, acknowledge it verbally. I need prayer for. And then you get people to agree with you in that prayer. And so, like, I, anything you can do in this moment, if God's doing something in you, figure out what it is. Maybe it's... Having a conversation with someone outside of this going, here's, here's my area that I'm fighting for and I'm losing and I need help. Look, we need each other. I'm grateful that I have men like Lucas and Chris in my life that challenge me and encourage me and don't settle for my puny little arguments of whining about, woe is me. Like, I'm telling you, Lucas, more than anyone else, has gotten my face in a loving way and just told me, like, what the heck? Like, get, get, get out of your head. And we need people like that that are going to speak and loose or bind the dumb things that are going on in our head. And I'm grateful that I have people 
in my life that aren't afraid. And Lucas is not afraid to tell me just what I need to hear, even when I don't like it. There's been times where I left. I'm like, really? Truthfully, this whole Jesus is greater came out of like an hour and a half conversation with Lucas. So if you don't like it, it's Lucas's fault. <laughs> so what do you do? Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is here in this room. The beauty of it is, and this will mess with your brain, he's everywhere. <laughs> Don't be like, I didn't invite him in here. It doesn't matter. He's everywhere. Just look up the omnipresent. He's everywhere. But right now, he's here. And I believe he just wants you to answer the question, is who am I to you? And today could be a partial surrender, a re-surrender. It could be just like, God, here I am. And the beauty of it is we're going to give you a few minutes to reflect on that inside. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.